Welcome to another episode of the Prime Podcast, where we are fortunate to talk to folks who are doing great things in their life and challenging the status quo and doing things to help themselves find their prime in life. So today we have a special guest that came to us from New York City, kind of stumbled upon Prime, and we are very fortunate to have her as a guest and as a member of Prime Movement Performance, Olga Karmansky. And you're going to find out she has a really fascinating story from being a being from Russia, uh, the old Soviet Union, to being uh, a, a star in rhythmic gymnastics to almost being in the Olympics to everything from being Broadway. So many exciting things that you're going to hear. And I'm really excited to bring you a new episode with Olga to help you find your prime. Enjoy. Yeah. You ready? <laughs> hey. Let's go. Back. I'm at my. I'm at my prime. Whoa. Uh, have I gone too far? And welcome back you to the Prime Podcast. On today's episode, we have a Prime member. Olga Karmansky, who came to us through COVID, and we're going to go through her journey a little bit, kind of like me. She grew up a little bit differently in terms of how long she was in New York City, but she lived in New York City for quite a long time before she came up to upstate New York and has blessed us and graced us with her presence. And she's been a great addition to our Prime family, and we're going to dive deep into some of the different things that she's done throughout her life. Very interesting and unique experiences that I think will shed some light and help you guys find your own prime through this conversation. So Olga, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for having me. Fun to be here. And Tori's in the studio too. Hi. Hi. She wasn't with us the last one, um, but Tori is here today. So if there's any side noises or things, that's where it's coming from. So Olga, let's start kind of uh, background, heritage, kind of where are you from? How, how did all this kind of work and how did you end up here? We're like sitting in uh, this, sitting in this thing. Sure. You got two I'll minutes to do. I'll start at the do. very you got, you beginning and I'll, yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the Soviet Union, hence my name. Yeah. Um, my the Soviet family. Union, the, like the Soviet Soviet It was Union? still the Soviet Union in 1989 when go. we immigrated. Yeah. I was three years old. You can do the math how old I am. Yeah. Um, and we were Jeff- Jewish refugees. So we like ran away from the Soviet Union, um, landed in Brooklyn, New York. That's where I grew up. I was Russian, so my mom put me in rhythmic gymnastics. I also did a bunch of other activities as a kid, uh, as all Soviet children do. One by one, they all kind of went off to the side, and rhythmic gymnastics stayed. Um, And, yeah, it went from just being a fun thing I did to becoming more and more serious. By the time I was 14, um, I begged my parents to become homeschooled so that I could train eight hours a day, six days a week. They weren't sure, but they agreed after a lot of begging. Um... And then I made the U.S. national team, competed for the U.S. um, at a couple of world championships, became Olympic alternate in 2004 for the U.S., and then retired at age 19. (laughs) Which is standard, kind of similar, standard for gymnastics type stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what part of Brooklyn were you growing up in? Uh. We moved around. The first place we moved to is Kensington. And then my parents ended up buying a house in Seagate, 
okay. in Brooklyn. Yeah. Nice. So I, I always li- say I'm from Seagate. Yeah. But my end of my Brooklyn was kind of like Kensington-ish. Nice. Yeah. But by the time I was a young adult, there is like the cool place to be. But when we first yeah. immigrated, there was a little dangerous. Yeah. 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 And 14, did you make it to a high school before you were homeschooled? No. No, no. it was for high school as I was transitioning. I went to Mark Twain Junior High School. If oh, anyone yeah. knows that. Yeah. yeah Brooklyn. Yeah. And then it's actually. A tough high school, middle, middle school to get into. Yeah. 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 I missed a lot of days of school because of competition and travel. Mm-hmm. New York City schools aren't very accommodating if you have something going on outside of school. No. <laughs> so nobody really cared to hear what I was doing. Um, so it was actually really hard for me to get into a good high school. So that was kind of part of the equation. I mean, it was mostly that I just wanted to do gymnastics all day long, but also I didn't get into any good high schools. Right. Yeah. Even though my grades were good, I just had like never ending days of absence. And I think it, we talked about it cause I've had a few of my former athletes on the podcast mm-hmm. who I taught at Midwood high school. Mm-hmm. We had talked about like that journey and how you get into certain high schools and mm-hmm. at least like the quote unquote good high schools mm-hmm. are, are very challenging to get into. Mm-hmm. So if you had, you know, an attendance history mm-hmm. that was not, not like good, I guess yeah. that would be a difficult task for you to get into some of the better high schools. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I think, I mean, even if I made, I was so committed at that point that I, I wouldn't have gone. I was very determined to yeah, be homeschooled. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, it, it paid off in, in your mm-hmm. career because that's what you, you wanted to do that. And like we talked about many times on different things, like that consistency and that effort to do something that you really want to do mm-hmm. is it paid off, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of being, you know, you went to some world championships mm-hmm. and you were, you know, one of the best at your craft at mm-hmm. rhythm gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And for folks who aren't hundred percent sure what that might be, can you explain what sure, that yeah. is? So it's an Olympic sport. It's not very popular in the U S it only came here maybe like 40 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's huge in Europe, even Western Europe now, um, obviously Eastern Europe, that's yeah. where it sort of originated. Um, and it's, there's so under the umbrella of gymnastics, you have artistic gymnastics, which is the tumbling kind that we all know, yeah. Simone Biles, et cetera, women's and men's gymnastics. Then also under that umbrella is rhythmic gymnastics. And I'll get into that in a second. There's also trampoline and tumbling. And then rhythmic gymnastics itself has two sort of fields of competition, individuals and then groups. Uh-huh. Individuals is solo gymnast on the floor. Um, and there are five different apparatus, ribbon, ball, hoop, clubs. There used to be rope. I think they actually took it out. Um, and then those scores are comprised of like the all around medals. So were you on a team or, or were you a group? I or was an individual. Individual. Yeah. So you would do the ball, the hoop, all that mm-hmm. different stuff? Yeah. I remember that there was not, what was the five? You said ball, hoop. Ball, hoop, clubs, ribbon. And it used to be rope, but I think ribbon. they took it out. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember seeing like yeah, the balls ribbon. and ribbon at some point. Ball, up. hoop, clubs, rope. Ribbon, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. At some point growing up, seeing them on TV, you know, yeah, like they yeah. throw the ball up and they catch exactly, it in like a yeah. split. And yeah, do all it doesn't of... get make it to TV very often in this country, but yeah. when it does, yeah, you know, it's like, wait, what is that? Yeah, it's kind of, it's different types yeah. of gymnastics. Cool. Yeah. And what did you, after you retired at 19, what was the next step? What, mm-hmm. what did we, where did we go from there? I guess I sh- it's important to put that my retirement was a little bittersweet. I was kind of hoping to make it into the next Olympic cycle. We can go into that whole story if you want to. I'm not going to go into it now. But I always had a goal of um, performing uh, like on Broadway when I was a kid. And a lot of rhythmic gymnasts actually, when they retired, they would go into acting and like doing Broadway shows and doing like Madonna tours, like a bunch of Madonna dancers, actually rhythmic gymnasts. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, Did you so do a Madonna like, tour? I auditioned for it. I didn't oh, get into man, it at the time. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, but my big thing is I really wanted to do Broadway. I wanted to do Cats, but then by the time I was old enough to, it closed. 
which is funny because the commercial is always on of cats. Like it's the last year, but then it'd gone for another year and another yeah. year. And I'd be like, wait for me. I'm only eight. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make it. Wait for me. And then it closed. But I ended up doing um, Pippin on Broadway. So I retired in 2006. Pippin was 2009. So I did a few things before then. But that was like, I guess, one of the more big entertainment yeah. jobs that I had. So awesome. I did a Broadway show. Yeah. 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 And Pippin's pretty, it's pretty well known. Yeah. 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 It was a revival of a Tony Award winning show. Then it also the revival won a Tony as well. Awesome. And so we're talking, so 2000, that's 2009? We did the workshop in Cambridge in 2012. And then it went to Broadway in 2013. And I think I did it till 2015, something like that. My dates might be a little bit off. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then a few things happened from then until now. And mm-hmm. when... When she, when Olga first came into the gym, you know, like people reach out and like, oh, you know, we're up here from New York City, blah, blah, blah. And I search her up on Instagram like we mostly do. And we look people up on Facebook and Instagram. I'm like, Tori, I think she, she has like 30,000 followers on Instagram. So it's been dropping. I haven't been active. <laughs> it hasn't been active and consistent. I was like, I was like, she's kind of Insta famous. So then, you know, you do a little digging and, and looking up people and seeing where you're from. Like, you know, when people come in, you know, especially, you know, we try to get a, a gauge of who everyone is. And then it's kind of interesting. Then on your Instagram you do a lot of like contortionist type mm-hmm. things. And, yeah. that, and that's what you, you're kind of currently doing in coaching folks mm-hmm. through mobility, flexibility type things. Yeah. When I first retired, I was kind of pursuing more of the dance path and then sort of what they call in the entertainment is a special, there's like actors, there's dancers, and then there's specialty performers and sort of the specialty realm was easier for me to get into because of the extreme flexibility that rhythmic gymnastics mm-hmm. require. So I got into contortion and sort of aerial arts, but mainly contortion. And, and I started um, working with hand balancing coaches to sort of strengthen my upper body because I didn't have any of that from rhythmic gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I studied it and performed over the course of maybe like 10 years. And then along the way was teaching flexibility, but then started incorporating handstands more into my teaching as well. And so now I do a mix of anywhere from just people trying to do, we end up doing kind of more functional training, um, but using sort of the foundation of handstands and flexibility training to approach it all the way up through just professional performers trying to push either into a new discipline for like, I have some aerialists who have some natural abilities to do contortion, um, but just have always been like aerialists and want to do contortion. And so we're doing that, or I have contortionists who just want to, improve on their skills so it's just a a wide degree of different people now you say natural ability to be a contortionist Mm -hmm. so people hypermobility yeah like hypermobility so so you would you say as a as a youngster like you were always like hypermobile and it kind of just led specifically like your yeah my back and shoulders my legs not like my hips not so much that was a lot of work but my back yeah uh, is always just like bent in half really yeah (laughs) So that, that obviously lends to like being able to do some of the things that you're, you're capable of doing. Yeah. And people who are trying to, I guess, get into that, is, mm-hmm. is it possible for somebody to just put a lot of work into it and be able to do it or not so much? Like in I've terms seen, of contortion type stuff, yeah. or would you have to have some sort of like loosey goosey type structures to be able to even handle some of it? Like, could you make me a contortionist? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> you know... I've seen really surprising yeah. things happen. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty flexible. Yeah, I'm not like super stiff. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm yeah. like contortionist level flexible. The other thing is, 
the other part of contortion, it's not like a self-discipline like yoga or, or fitness. It's a performative art. So right. you also want to be able want to perform and people should want to see you perform. Right. <laughs> so that's the other part of it. For sure. Yeah. So you're saying people wouldn't want to see you. I don't know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so is that what you're saying right yeah. now? So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be uh, a credible source, I guess. No, it might be interesting. Just a really muscular man. Being able really to do flexible. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I might I, have a, my, my niche right there, but uh, yeah, I just, I just, because we see folks in the gym, you know, and you see them, you're, you're flexible and you see mm-hmm. some folks who were dancers or gymnasts mm-hmm. in the gym who can also do splits and they're flexible as well. Mm-hmm. And then you see the flip side of it where you see folks who are completely immobile, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. can't even touch their toes mm-hmm. and they can't get into a straddle mm-hmm. and get their forearms to the floor. Mm-hmm. So I, it always brings that, that mm-hmm. idea of like, okay, how much, can we actually improve? Mm-hmm. Yes, obviously we're not going to make everybody into contortionist type flexibility and mobility, right. but how much can we improve somebody's flexibility with some like dedicated training? And then how, you know, through your experiences, like how long do these processes take for some folks to put in that, that time? I was actually listening to your podcast earlier about, um, and you said you were doing some kind of flexibility training during COVID the, during COVID. Yeah. And they said like 12, 18 yeah. months or something like that. I say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. You're going to see little bits of progress along the way, but you won't have like this aha moment in two, three, four months. And that's why a lot of people get frustrated and they quit. It's not that obvious of like when you're doing overhead press and it's like, I've lifted 10 pounds. Okay, now I'm lifted 20. It's not that clear. The The margins of improvement are so small and you have to take all those small little wins and then take photos because you'll forget about where you were when you happen to have increased yeah. your range of motion. You'll look, you'll be like, oh, I'm I'm still not improving. But if you have photos, you'll be like, oh, whoa. No, that's where I used yeah, to be. Like today I can only touch my shin and then tomorrow I could touch like an inch lower on my shin. Yeah. And then, you know, like, so then you yeah. can see that for progress for sure. So the question was... How long does it take? Yeah, I would say 12 and to 18 most people, months is And very most people could, could improve from your experiences that they're going to be able to improve with. Just like in the gym, like you see people, like you said, today I can press 10 pounds and tomorrow I can press 20 pounds or yeah. however long that takes. Yeah. But it's possible if you were to put the work in and just like, you know, we talk about nutrition, weight loss and, mm-hmm. and strength and all these things, they, they take time mm-hmm. and unfortunately for many folks, they want that quick. Like I want to be mm-hmm. able to do this right now mm-hmm. and I don't want to wait that three to four months for that marginal mm-hmm. amount of progress or yeah. that six, eight, 12 months right. for that progress. And, you know, for you being at 14, you know, maybe even younger, you decided like, Hey, this was, this is what I'm going to spend eight hours a day doing. Mm-hmm. Like, was there a point in, in, in that journey where it like just, in your mind, just like flip the switch where it's like, I'm going to go to the Olympics or I'm going to, well, I really, really want to do this. So I'm just going to dedicate all my time. I don't want to go to school anymore or I want to be homeschooled mm-hmm. or, you know, things like that. Like, mm-hmm. was there a point you remember that flipping the switch or was it just kind of. It was gradual over time. I always enjoyed it. So there was that. I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the community um, and just something about it. I think it was just like directing my. Something about rhythmic gymnastics, I guess all sports are this way and arts too, but it really um, brings you to find your flow state. And that's, I think that's what it gave me. This, that, what they talk about in positive psychology. I think that was um, something that I really enjoyed. So it was just overall something I enjoyed. And then I just kept improving. Um, And actually I wasn't considered 
one of the better people at my gym. Um, but slowly people started quitting. I just kept sticking with it. And so, and I mean, people at my gym kept quitting, but also overall, like in the country. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just stuck through. And so my ranking kept going up. And I guess at some point when I saw, I was like, my ranking is going up, the more I trained. And so I was like, yeah, I want to. And I knew that if I dedicated even just a little more time to it, because at that point in junior high school, I'd go to school till three. My parents were driving to practice. I'd start at like four thirty-five, practice till nine, go home, do homework till midnight or something, get up at six, do it all over again. Well, the girls in California and Chicago, their uh, board of education is much more flexible if you have any extracurricular activities. So they are able to leave school at twelve one, have a way longer training, train way more, get rest. Yeah. And I and so I was always ranking below them. Um, behind the Chicago and California people. And I was like, if I just get homeschooled, I know I can beat them. (laughs) And and I think there's something to be said about like that consistent effort. And like, sometimes you can be successful just based off of attrition, right? Where people, other people around you are giving up because they're not seeing the progress and you have that determination and dedication to continue doing something. Mm -hmm. And you're going to start seeing that, some people are going to get hurt and go away. Some people are going to give up because it's too hard. And then you start seeing all these people fizzle out. And the people that are left mm-hmm. are going to be those people who end up being great because you keep putting in the work. Mm-hmm. And then like you said, you start seeing like, oh, I keep rising a little bit. Now I'm going to keep. And, and it's that that sense like I'm seeing some results. and I'm seeing some positive feedback to this. Now I'm going to dedicate and be even more motivated mm-hmm. to continue to work harder. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good um thing especially in like business like Mm -hmm. for businesses like Mm -hmm. if we just look at the crossfit style gyms in our area like there was five two three years ago now there's only two yeah so three of them just fizzled away and and died you know and so it's like you're like well you can't be the best if you don't exist right (laughs) yeah if you just i really believe in just yeah stick stick with it just keep going yeah so if you can stick with it and keep going that that says a lot about you in terms of your consistency and then it also plays into a bigger role of like hey if you can stick to something like you can be good at it you got to give it that time Mm -hmm. to be able to do that Mm -hmm. so you're in our you've become a member of our gym yay yay (laughs) and we do a you know a blended kind of like what we call a hybrid model of like crossfit and like a boot camp thing we're somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. Uh, but you found us because you were looking for a CrossFit style gym because you were doing CrossFit in New York City. Mm-hmm. And how did you find, like, what brought you into that CrossFit realm? Because CrossFit and, like, rhythmic gymnastics are very, I wouldn't say opposite ends of the spectrum, but mm-hmm. they're they're different. Right. Right? You were looking at flexibility and, and mobility type things, and we're looking at, like, strength and power mm-hmm. and, and high-intensity type stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did, that, how did that align for you? It was twofold. One, my whole life competing and then after competition even performing people are always commenting on my weight to mm-hmm. be straightforward <laughs> um and i'm forgetting like there's being me- too skinny being too small no no being too round and high like fat body fat oh, percentage okay. yeah the opposite way yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's their mesomorph ectomorph and endomorph which yep. one is the like curvy one <laughs> the endomorph yeah so that w- i would say it was always like my body type yeah. <laughs> um and so, you know, as a kid, I did whatever I could. My mom was helping. My mom's an acupuncturist. So I was doing whatever I could through my mom, learning through my mom and learning about nutrition as a 10-year-old right. <laughs> um, and trying to appease my coaches about my body fat percentage. Um, and then when I transitioned into performing and it was, like, still, like, an issue, um, I started trying to understand, like, what's going on. A, I, I, 
I wasn't ever strong enough to do some of the things I wanted. And also I was always at a higher body fat than I wanted to be. Um, so it was like part vanity, part pragmatic. Yeah. Um, and so I knew I needed a strong uh, strength training program to get where I wanted to go. And there, hap- I was living in Union Square and there's a CrossFit across the street from me. Yeah. So I just started going there. So that was one thing. It was easy to access. I knew once I started going there, if I, all I have to do is just show up to class and I'll get my strength training in. And it worked miracles like right away. Yeah. I got gained so much power. I leaned out. It like changed my body composition. It was pretty yeah. crazy. Um, but I had also heard of CrossFit because my friend Dave Durante, who owns Power Monkey Fitness, yeah. had been doing it. And he'd always be like, he wasn't trying to convince me to do it, but he'd always be talking about CrossFit. So I had done a couple of workouts. Did you meet him, him through too. the gymnastics realm? Yeah, we competed. Because he was on the Olympic the, team we, yeah, too, right? Yeah, he was on the Olympic team. I think the year I was alternate, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, like a lot of times uh, there are a bunch of competitions where it's both rhythmic gymnastics and artistic gymnastics. And we travel yeah. as a delegation together and we stay at the same hotels and so yeah, yeah. He ended up marrying one of my close performing friends. Nice. Yeah, they have two kids now. Yeah, he was at Solace for a little bit before they kind of closed down. Mm-hmm. And he, I've always wanted to go to his camp, like that Power Monkey camp that they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. If they're still doing it, they are. They have, uh, they're trying something new this week actually, or next week, um, where they're doing like a wellness version of the Power Monkey camp. Okay. But yeah, they do it like two or three times a year. Yeah, I remember trying to go to one long, like seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah, people were, love like, it. Their first or second one that they did like mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So so found CrossFit, leaned out, yeah. and now, you know, I did you guys entirely come up here for COVID or you guys kinda have something that's up here in yeah. upstate New York? Your husband's family theater they, company. Theater company mm-hmm. and they have um Yeah. Like a, is it a barn or they have a barn and they run a theater company from out of the barn in the summer. Right. Um, and they bring actors up from New York City. So we were coming up for after we met five, six years ago. Yep. Um, we were coming up for the summers for the play. Um, and then we permanently ended up here because of COVID. Right. Uh, we were about to have our daughter. She was like a week away from my due date. And New York City Hospital said that he couldn't be in the room with me. And I also actually got a duelist. So first she couldn't be in the room, then he couldn't be in the room. So I was supposed to have the baby by myself. And I just thought that was a doula in the room either. No, that was the first thing to go. It was like two weeks out and they were like, Oh, doula can't be there. And I was like, okay, well at least someone's still going to be there. And then like days, like probably a week before my due date, they said, Nope, you have to give birth by yourself and probably in a mask. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. (laughs) So we searched for hospitals. Some up here actually wouldn't take me because we were from New York city and they said, we're not taking anyone from New York city. Yeah. You guys are, at that time, yeah. you, guys, you guys were the infected. Yeah. So then we found a hospital <laughs> near my parents, but then we ended up coming here because his parents had space. Um, and so, yeah. And so. Where did you end up having the baby? Wellsville, New York. Where's yeah. That? <laughs> Western New York near Rochester. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and they let you, let him be in the hospital and all that jazz? Yeah. And right. it was it ended up being an amazing experience, but I met oh. the doctor like a few days before I was supposed to have the baby. Yeah. 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 I, I, that's, a, that's a tough time to to be doing that and going through all those different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember we had a, I mean, if we didn't have, when we were, had our first in New York city, if we didn't have the doula, I don't like, she did so much stuff for oh us. Oh my God. Yeah. I was so excited. She was amazing. Yeah. I was, what, what was your doula's name? I, my wife would definitely remember. Yeah. Ours I, was Carrie. She was like the best. She was like from Bensonhurst. She's like very Brooklyn Irish woman. Like 
told you straight up what how everything I knew everybody in the hospital and what they did and how his best friend and like yeah yeah she was amazing she yeah. ended up being like phone consult like from afar but awesome yeah so it still worked out a little bit yeah um, yeah yeah but I remember that experience for us too like I had to she had to like stay with my wife for a certain amount I had to go like park the car and do different things and it was just always good to have that other set of hands yeah that was there and assisting mm-hmm. through all the process and like understanding the things that we didn't know being yeah, first like time parents coach, coach you through it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. So you move back upstate and, or not back upstate, you move upstate. This is your first time like mm-hmm. officially living mm-hmm. in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. How, how are we liking it yeah. compared to New York city? Uh, I like that. I'm not <laughs> like just running around like with as if my head's cut off. That's yeah. what New York city life is like, but it's For a little sure. addictive and you get into this vortex of my life is going, especially as a freelance, like teacher performer, you're just yeah. like, just going uptown, downtown Brooklyn, like here, there. Um, so I like that it's more calm cause now I just sit and teach my students from my computer, mm-hmm. go play with my daughter, <laughs> yeah. do it again, have lunch, like actually have a sit down lunch. So I really appreciate that. Um, it's hard to say with COVID, just like what life is like up here because we don't, we still don't really, really go out much. Yeah. But, you know, we we live on a farm or what used to be a farm. Um, so it's just you look out the window and it's beautiful fields and rolling yeah. green grass. And we have a donkey and three sheep. And that's very different from Brooklyn. Yes. <laughs> very different. And the, even just the rolling fields and the grass. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I yeah. think it does something different for your mental health and I've found myself feeling more like creative mm-hmm. because I have the mental space. I mean, outside of having a small child, <laughs> um, I still somehow find the mental space like, Oh, I have like sort of, I have little revelations and just time to reflect on my day and my life where I'm sure, you know, in New York city, you're just so in it that, you just like go to sleep and you've never even like thought about what you did that day. Yeah. Because it's so high stress and you're always on even, you know, like if you're on a subway, like you're always, you know, on and and having to do something or be somewhere or be Mm -hmm. a part of something. So it's it's a very different process for Mm -hmm. sure than being in a a quieter place. Yeah. And I was there for, for nine years, I Mm -hmm. think. And did you know you wanted to raise your daughters here? Well, that was kind of an interesting process. We had, we had our, our oldest daughter in Brooklyn and then my wife and I are both teachers in, in, in Brooklyn. My wife taught in Brighton Beach and I taught at Midwood, like I said. Mm-hmm. And we were looking kind of just for places like what we were going to do at the time. We were living in a studio apartment. We had a hundred pound dog and we had a baby and we're like, what are we going to do now? We mm-hmm. have all this stuff that we kind of need to maybe get a little bit more space. And we just started looking uh, at different things and doing different things. And we ended up just deciding to move back upstate mm-hmm. because it just seemed like the best option for us at the time. We had all, we're both from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife is from Whitesboro. I'm from Utica. And we had the idea that we had family here to support us. And we had different things that we can do opportunities at the time. I was looking at gym space, potential gym spaces in Brooklyn because the, when we were looking to leave the CrossFit space was still not to say that it was really new, but all the ones that were popping up in Brooklyn that are, they're all pretty new. Mm-hmm. in terms of that like mm-hmm. when i was there there might have been four mm-hmm. or five in all of brooklyn mm-hmm. now there's probably like 25 mm-hmm. if they're still all there mm-hmm. so we were we were going to maybe open a spot there and then just all the things just the the financial i guess hurdle for mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff which wasn't 
as possible as it is up here. Yeah. So like the finances of things are much easier. Like I, I started this business with not a whole lot of money. Then mm-hmm. you're able to do that because the overhead is so low. Yeah. And, and to get into it was so low. So um, I really do miss the city. I'm sure you probably do too, being that's that was your life for... Mm-hmm. I would assume that you miss the city for I some mean, regards. Uh, sometimes I'm like, do I? I mean, yes, I miss my, I think I miss my friends more than anything. Cause I grew up there. So I have my childhood friends there. I have my university friends. I have my work friend. Like I have right. all different parts of my life. Friends are from there. And then I'm 35. So I'm just like, Oh, it's hard. To, it's not hard to make new friends, but I just don't want to explain my life to anybody. new. For, for sure. No, it's hard to make new friends. Don't get, it's yeah. hard. It's hard. One of the, one of the reasons why uh, we actually started this style of gym is because when we were in the city, like I said, I was a teacher and I did all this stuff. So like most of my interactions were with high school kids. So like mm-hmm. when I had my adult time, I guess, so to speak, like it was mostly at the gym. Like, mm-hmm. our, so all of our closest friends, even still today, like we met at the CrossFit gym. Yeah. So those mm-hmm. are a lot of our adult friends. So when we came up here, you know, I had been removed from this area since 2001. So like 14 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I might've had a few childhood friends, but I haven't seen these people for 14 years. Right. So we were like, well, a lot of the people who share some of the common beliefs as us and things that and values that we have, we all found them in the gym. Mm-hmm. So let's try to recreate that up mm. here. Yeah. So that kind of led us to uh, recreating the gym and, and, and doing that sort of stuff. And then m- many of the people who've come in here have been, become our, mm-hmm. our friends. And yeah, yeah. I've, I definitely I started becoming friendly, you know, it took some time because I travel to my parents, et cetera, but. I'm really enjoying, yeah, getting friendly with people. Everyone's really nice. Yeah, so yeah. that that was kind of like the impetus to, to start the gym and then also creating some of that culture that we found in the city of all like the really, and like, I, I think I feel the same same way. Like, yeah, the city is, is great and it has, you know, some positive aspects of it, mm-hmm. but the people that we met there yeah, um, were, were way bigger than the, the place. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny because a lot of the people who we were very close with don't live there anymore. Right. They've all yeah. kind of gone their own way or gone to different places in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of them moved down to like Nashville. Yeah. Some of them moved to Florida. Yeah. So a lot of people who were in the city at the time when we were there aren't, aren't there as much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some of that on, on my end too. But then there's like the artists who now are waiting a, for the shows to come back. Yeah. And, so that I'd like to talk like, so yeah. is there like a specific time because they did say what September this year yeah, October. I think it's going to be beginning yeah I think they're going to be checking vaccination card I haven't been following closely but every now and then I see something yeah so shows are starting up in like this week or in the next couple of weeks yeah do you have people that you work with who are in shows currently or I'm um, like haven't checked in with each person but yeah I think a couple a few friends are like about to start shows some people were just about to start shows as COVID hit mm-hmm. so I don't know if they're getting they're in new shows or if those shows, I don't even know. Everything's like, cause shows like requ- require so many, so much funding and the producers is all very complex. So sure. I don't know if they had to find new jobs, but yeah, people are waiting for new things to begin. Yeah. Because as a performer and in New York city freelance and doing all the things that you were just talking about for the last 18 months have probably been extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And just being able to navigate that situation it became like not even having an opportunity to work. Mm-hmm. It's not just like I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying out or I'm auditioning for these things. Yeah. I'm not getting jobs. Like yeah. there's nothing to audition for. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I think it made a lot of people have an existential crisis. Yeah. For me being a child of immigrants, always at home, I've always heard like 
how there's no money and we need to work nonstop. So I always had other work besides my performing work For going. Sure. So I never 100% wrap my identity and all my, like, everything in just performing. That was something that I did do. But I think for a lot of firms, this is, they went to school for it. This is what they've been wanting to do their whole life. This is what they do. They've done, they went, you know, did two years at one show, two years at another show. They'd go from show to show. This is their livelihood. This is their identity. This is their everything. And it just, the world came crashing down for them. It's like, no, there's, what you do doesn't exist anymore. There's yeah. no one to do it for. There's no place to do it. Yeah. Um, and so they, I think, yeah, people, you know, went through mental health things and then had to maybe even one of my friends started a clothing line um, and someone else became like a visual designer. So I think some good things came out of it. Yeah, for you got to diversify your portfolio, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. So you got to come up and, and I yeah. think that's what one thing that, that was really cool about um, some of the, some of the, I guess was the, was a cool aspect of things being shut down for a little bit was people did have that opportunity to be like, take a step back mm-hmm. and maybe they were, stuck in a grind of something that they might've been not been 100% passionate about, mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe they just did it for so long that they mm-hmm. felt stuck mm-hmm. that now they had that opportunity to be like, I'm going to go be a fashion designer. I'm going to yeah. go do something different. Right. And they found like a new passion or a new love for something mm-hmm. creative in a different aspect. Yeah. And, uh, so I think that that was a cool, one of my friends who we had on the podcast a couple of times ago, he still lives in the city. Uh, I grew up with him here and I lived with him initially when I moved down there he went to he went to Pratt for fashion design, and he did visual arts for Victoria's Secrets for for a long time. But that all their stores kind of like shut down for so long, mm-hmm. and then he got back into his own art, and has now done shows and he's producing art and creating more of his own stuff. That nice. that took like he always was passionate about it, but it took a backseat to that grind that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Like he's going, you know, taking a subway mm-hmm. from Brooklyn to Manhattan every day, working mm-hmm. an eight hour shift, coming back, and mm-hmm. then just that grind of like that 10 and a half, mm-hmm. 11 hour day with mm-hmm. commutes. He didn't, he kind of, that passion kind of fizzled out for him. Yeah. 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 So yeah. just being able to revisit some of those things is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. I love that. You'll have to send me his work. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty mm-hmm. cool. And uh, you had talked about before we can revisit it in which mm-hmm. we're going to do right now was kind of like your early retirement, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was, yeah. uh, uh, slightly controversial, slightly controversial. <laughs> um, and yeah, but so I, I became ranked number one in the U S at one point I became national champion. Um, and that was awesome. (laughs) And usually there's only one spot per, uh, for, except like three, the top three countries in rhythmic gymnastics, which are Russia, Ukraine, and like Bulgaria, Belarus, they get two gymnasts each at the Olympics. Everyone else gets one spot only. Why is that? Because there's only 25 competitors for rhythmic gymnastics for individuals. But is there is there some rationale why they get two versus other countries getting one? It's um, just a level of competition. They're they've always been they've had a, a long history of the sport in their countries. Like everything, especially in Russia, is set up like to support these athletes. They have the best of everything, the best training, just the best of everything. And then there's also a lot of politics in rhythmic sure. gymnastics. Um, it's very open. Like I think. This Olympics may have been the most fair Olympics, and maybe you read a little bit about it. Um, mm-hmm. It was in, in the New York Times first time rhythmic gymnastics. Yeah, um, maybe not the first time, but it was like <laughs> there was like a headline, and yeah. it was like, "Whoa, rhythmic gymnastics has a headline in the New York Times." Um, but yeah, there's always like judges being disqualified because there's they literally countries will for in the past have formed alliances where it's like, okay, if you make sure that Russia 
and I hope like Putin doesn't go after me because it's very tied into all this. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. It's geopolitical, like crazy. But even this year, they, they, all their people got to, they, like half of, they, they competed as the Russia Olympic Committee. Mm-hmm. They didn't compete right. as that Russia. Was because I think a f- couple Olympics ago, a bunch of athletes were found doping. But they and said so that, that it came from the top, though, according to their the, the stuff that was published out here. Anyway, that that like everyone in their Olympic committee knew and was actually giving them the. Oh doping. yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't you see the Netflix documentary about the cyclists? Yeah, and, I heard yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. This is. I mean, it yeah. sounds like when you hear it, you're like, that couldn't have happened. No, like this stuff is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So like, he just like was outwardly like, yeah, we take steroids. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they deny they deny it, but well, the doctor admitted it. The doctor admitted it, but like the politicians deny it, but it's like, it's all connected. For sure. Um, but so instead so same rhythmic gymnastics, the rhythmic gymnastics, the Russian team is sponsored by Gazprom, which is the biggest oil company in Russia, mm-hmm. uh, who the, the vice president of Gazprom is married to the head of rhythmic gymnastics oh, in Russia. How convenient. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're like on a yacht in Montenegro, like between trainings. Yeah. Like <laughs> wow. Um, and so also they're, they've been the most powerful because of a lot of different things, but also finances. For sure. Um, and so they'll like say to, let's say, and I'm making this up arbitrarily now, but they'll say somebody like Hungary, who's usually ranked in the top, somewhere in the top 20, will make sure... You're in the top 10 as long as you make sure that we're number one. Right. And then like Ukraine. And so there are all these like little alliances. So every time the Russian comes up, Hungary's like tens, tens, tens. Yeah. You're yeah. Like, Man, this Hungary guy really likes the Russians. Yeah. So they, I don't, I think they've tried to fix it because there've been so many problems in the past um, that I think it's better now. They've done some kind of check system where I don't really know. I haven't been that in touch with. Some sort of checks and balances to yeah, figure exactly. it out. Yeah. So um, as a competitor though. How does that like play into your psyche? Yeah, it's really because you know we're all teenagers there, so it's pretty messed up. You know, you're you beg your parents to become homeschooled so you could do this eight hours a day. You're like committed more than you could ever be. You don't see your friends because all you want to do is train your heart out, and then you go to competition, you get ranked at whatever place, even though you did bet you like you're watching some of these other people and they're messing up and you did it's it's really yeah it can really mess with you so i became ranked number one and then there's like a whole internally in the u.s there's a whole nother weird political thing that i don't even fully know till this day but pretty much my coach at the time who i left after i was 16 years old um was pretty abusive and she's kind of crazy and she created a lot of problems in the at USA Gymnastics, which is the governing body of gymnastics, and they were kind of always annoyed with her. And when you have the number one ranking gymnast in the U.S., you kind of have a lot of power and say about who gets assigned to which competitions, like a lot of different things that happen. Um, and so they didn't want her to have that power. And so they invited the three-time uh, Canadian champion um, to become, who was a dual citizen of the U.S., to come to the U.S. and compete for the U.S. Oh, interesting. After representing Canada for her whole career like 12 plus years and by the way i'm friends with her so i've never said this publicly so but now it's going to be out there (laughs) um but people who know know um so yeah so once she became here she became number one i ended up becoming number two um and she ended up going to olympics for the u.s after competing for canada for her whole life her whole life um so that was really sad for me i was 17 at the time then she retired after she went to the olympics um, I was alternate that year because she was number one, I was number two. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to stay another four years. 
and try to make it to the next Olympics. And then halfway into that Olympic cycle, um, my mom was just like, why are you still putting so much time and energy? And my parents are financing my whole career and make sure. gymnastics costs about like $60,000 a year or something yeah, more. And yeah. they're like, we've never been able to afford this. We're immigrants. And like, we're so tired of paying over all this. Can you just like stop it? And, and just like go to school. You're never going to get any rhythmic gymnastics. doesn't have any scholarships. There's no matter what you accomplish, you're not going to get anything out of it in terms of financial, financial, yeah. anything. Um, even recognition, like nobody really cares. My mom was kind of putting pressure on me to end it. And I was like, no, I just like, I know if I push a little more, I can get these little, you know, I want to rank here. I want to rank there. And then I went to this competition. I was 19 in France and it's considered a mini world championships because it's held annually. Whereas world championships is held by it or every two years. Um, and I did the best I've ever done. And I ranked the lowest that I had ever ranked ever. And then right. I sat there watching finals and I was just like shocked about like some of the performances that were of gymnasts who were ranked ahead of me. And I realized no matter how much effort I put in, there are just so many factors that I really can't control that yeah. I'm not going to achieve what I like had set out to. And so I just threw in the towel at that point. And it was sad because I, I think I could have done more. Yeah. And I think that happens yeah. where you kids get, uh, the the short end of the stick because of something that's happening with adults. Yeah. I mean, you see that in, you know, like high school sports, you see it in club mm. sports, you see it in all these different aspects yeah. of different sporting events yeah. where like you would think, and you see it in schools too, unfortunately, where you think like the kids and the, the, the athletes or whoever it is that their best interest is, is at heart. Yeah. But it's really not. Yeah. And it's always the adults. Like, you yeah. know, you had a situation where, they the adults had some conflict yeah and it negatively affected you because that's who your coach was mm -hmm. like like you have no no like yeah. no <laughs> no no like uh whatever like say in it or no investment in it it just so happens to be that your coach was the person that yeah you know they wanted to do whatever with and like yeah. that i think that happens you know like if a parent says something in a, in a high school team or a club team. And then that kid gets the, mm -hmm. the negative aspect of because those, those people as adults don't get along. Yeah. Yeah. That'll happen in like club teams and gymnastics too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that happens all around. So it even mm -hmm. happens, like I said, in education and it's like a, a mm -hmm. terrible side effect that like, we don't, we're not there to help and, and take, you know, this potential kid who's, you know, looking for a great experience or looking for, some guidance yeah. or help. And we, as adults, sometimes give them the opposite yeah. experience. And yeah. then it's just like this kind of weird cyclical yeah. thing. And it's an unfortunate side effect of yeah. sports in general, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You think sports like straightforward, you know, you put time and effort equals result. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's just even, even with like, yeah, just, you know, you think running, you, run you get you know your you time yeah. but like there's all these other barriers and things that can happen along the way yeah i mean it kind of happened well I, I, hers wasn't an adult thing but it was a you know with the the woman who shikari right who this year who was like she won it mm -hmm. she should have went she was the best runner yeah she tested positive for marijuana which is legal yeah. in the majority of the united states yeah. now and because it's not legal in the u.s olympic committee right you know there could have been something they did yeah yeah um maybe I don't, I don't know what they could have done. I, I don't have a solution for that, but mm -hmm. I'm sure those guys who sit there and have meetings all day about this kind of stuff could have figured <laughs> right. something out. Yeah. Uh, and it's just unfortunate that somebody, you know, like you said, like you work 
your whole life. Yeah. You know, for the, you know, for you, you do a couple of events, but for someone who runs a hundred meter dash, you mm -hmm. work your whole life for nine seconds, <laughs> right. 10 seconds. Yeah. And then it gets taken away from you. Like, yeah. like that. Yeah. And then, and then everybody had sort of the right, has the right to judge her on that one thing when they weren't there with her every minute that she invested into this. It's just for like, sure. now it's like this political judgment of where, where do you stand in terms of marijuana? Yeah, <laughs> It's like, have a, all the years she put into this, you, are you taking that away from her because she smoked marijuana? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like my girl, uh, Imani, who I had on the podcast, who I coached, who she's been, she hasn't met an alternate, but she was, she missed Olympics twice mm -hmm. in the triple jump. Mm. So this, cause they take top three. Okay. Or they take, yeah, they take top three and she's placed fourth at Olympic trials the last two times. Okay. And two, the, the previous one, not this one, but the previous one, she got tested positive for a banned substance. Oh, what was it? it? I don't even know. She doesn't even remember what it, well, she, she probably knows what it is, but her coach had, uh, given her some supplements mm -hmm. and she didn't vet them properly mm. to know like what she was mm -hmm. taking was a banned substance. Mm. And then when she got tested at, at trials, she tested positive and she was like, how is that even possible? Like, how yeah. did I test positive? And she was banned for, wow. from, uh, USA competitions for, I think 18 months or 12 months. Yeah. Um, and then she had that kind of, it, it messed with her mindset for mm -hmm. that period of time. Mm -hmm. And, she thought that she was like tainted and all these different things that were kind of messing with her mental capabilities to, to mm -hmm. perform physically. Mm -hmm. And it, again, trusting an adult, you know, somebody who was supposed to be there looking out for you and looking at you for your best interest and heart. Yeah. And they're giving you something that is yeah. a banned substance that they might've, I, I mean, I'm assuming he would have to know yeah. like as a coach, if you're, if you don't either way, if you knew it's wrong and if you don't yeah. know it's wrong because you should know. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, just a, a yeah. difficult situations where adults are, are not, or, or your coach or your mentor, whoever yeah. that is, it doesn't have your, your best interest at heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think they don't, sometimes some coaches don't realize the power they have over the person's life, even if they're a little bit older, but especially younger kids, like, not only are you the coach, you're practically their parent. You're spending more time with them than their parents are. Sure. <laughs> um, you're their mentor. Like, like you're, they look up to you, you know, so you're being idolized. You're their friend. They're, you're playing all these different, like, you're their psychologist. Yeah. Um, and so it's like this all-powerful force in this one person's life and to have someone... And that's Turner. why, and that's yeah. why some of that scandal that came out in gymnastics was kind of mm -hmm. because all the gymnastics usually are, are very young, mm -hmm. and like you said, very impressionable, mm -hmm. trying to please the person that they're 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 trying to work with, like mm -hmm. what you know through their their work ethic mm -hmm. and through being able to do that kind of stuff. And then you see all that scandal that came out in gymnastics, yeah. class, you know, yeah, which was a, yeah. a difficult thing for many folks to to kind of navigate through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was. I knew Larry not like closely but he worked on the rhythmic gymnast too um sadly some of my friends came out i had no idea these are girls that i trained with stayed with in rooms in france competing internationally and had no idea this was happening i don't think they even knew and um it's actually well, been hard to reach some of them after because they're still like processing, processing. Yeah. yeah well i think that's the other part like we were just saying like sometimes you're as a especially in gymnastics the 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 age where you are at your prime mm -hmm. is very young. Mm -hmm. So like you don't, like you, like you say, you don't know if this is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. If it's kind of happening to everybody, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, this is just kind of what happens. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gives you that impressionable, again, where an adult or somebody in the position of power is not mm -hmm. like looking at you for 
in terms of like in your best interest. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just and it happens with a. Adult to adult all the time, too, positions of power. Yeah, it's unfortunate. (laughs) So I think we we talked about a lot of different things, but Mm -hmm. I think some of the underlying themes that Mm -hmm. we we can kind of pull out from here is like the dedication and consistency of Mm -hmm. doing a craft. Mm -hmm. And that is an important aspect of all the things that we try to get folks to understand is that if you do want to be good at something, like you have to take action, you have to continually do that thing over and over again. Yeah. And that's what Olga has been doing. And this is why she's, you know, was great at rhythmic gymnastics. She was a world champion. She, you know. I went to world championships. She went to world championships. <laughs> she was ranked number one. I wish one. I was a world champion. So you, cool. you ranked number one. <laughs> I you ranked number one in the U.S. and uh, in the North and South continent. Oh. Um, North and South America. Not against the Eastern Europeans. Yeah, no. She wasn't, she wasn't there yet. Yeah. But she is an Eastern European. So yeah. She, <laughs> So she must have it in her genes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the consistency, one thing I, I like to think about is when you hear that, it's like, just stick to it. Like, just get, but when you're starting something new, that's really overwhelming. So you just like, just like any large task, you, you know, take it to the gym or your nutrition or whatever. Just like one day at a time, you know, one little change at a time. Like don't overwhelm yourself. <laughs> don't yeah. try to win a championships in 24 to 48 hours or yeah. in a week or in a month it's like play the long game and that's what i actually do here because i came here after i gave birth and i don't know what people think but some of them like lifting these like you know i'm going really light all the time like yeah. <laughs> everyone's always going heavy at crossfit and i'm just like it's just like for me i like what i learned from rhythmic gymnastics like it's you and your bubble and like focus on yourself and where you're currently at like don't compare yourself and just like take your journey one day at a time. And I think that's, that's great advice for anybody doing, you know, starting something new or even just being in the gym. I think being in a training center gym, like prime movement performance, or any CrossFit or other style of gyms, it is important to not compare yourself to other people because you don't, like you're saying, like you don't know where, you know, that person could have been doing this for six years consistently. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just coming back from having a baby and you know, the other person might've had back pain or this person. So when mm-hmm. you start looking at other things and comparing what we're doing without knowing the story behind it, mm-hmm. it becomes very difficult yeah. to, to challenge that. But you do know your own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think some people for some reason, I don't feel this way. Like I think just over my life, I've learned to not com- like compare myself to other- my coaches. I think really instill that is like, don't like, cause in the back of like a competition, like you have your performance floor, but in the back, all the gymnasts, not in artistic gymnastics, but in rhythmic gymnastics, we're back there repeating our routines nonstop on the same floor, like 20 people on one like mat. Yeah. And so it's very easy to just be like lost and looking at everybody else, but you really just have to be like this and like navigate the floor and keep practicing for like an hour before you go out there. And my coach would be like, create like your bubble. You're just like you. So I have that instilled in me. So when I go to a CrossFit, I don't really look at what I mean sometimes if I'm inspired I'm like oh that's really cool I want to do that but I generally don't look at other people but I've had feedback from like ex-boyfriends and other friends that I've seen across there's like the environment is set up to compete against to compete against each other and I'm yeah. wondering how can CrossFit improve that so people don't feel that way when they come well, in we've, our, our culture is not set up like that yeah I agree yeah, yeah. <laughs> so our culture is not set up to be competitive it's actually yeah. more com- in in the aspect that we want people to feel comfortable and not competitive yeah because I do think that can give a that that sort of thing and that that competition to compare yourself to everyone else mm-hmm. forces some folks, especially like those alpha personalities, mm-hmm. those A type personalities, to to want to do things that their body isn't ready for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think once you start doing things that your body isn't ready for, that's when you could potentially get hurt yeah. and 
nobody wants to get hurt no. like going to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we want to yeah. go to the gym so we can enhance our life in some way and feel stronger or enhance something else that we're mm-hmm. trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that's at least as me as a gym owner, that's my goal for the space that mm-hmm. we've created. Yeah. 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 I think you're doing that well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. So if people want to search you out and check mm-hmm. out your Instagram and see some of the things you've done, mm-hmm. where can they find you? Yeah. I'm most active on my Instagram, even though I haven't been that active. Um, and that's Instagram.com slash Olga Karmansky, K-A-R-M-A-N-S-K-Y. Olga. Um, that's the main. Whole name. Yeah. Yeah. That's the main place I exist right now. Um, yeah, do you do Twitter or it. anything else? Um, like some of my public Facebook posts go to my Twitter, but I, I really don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've always been interested in Twitter, but I've never really gotten into it that much. Yeah. I just, yeah, sometimes with <laughs> writing things, like pictures, you know, it's a moment in time or you're trying to, con- you know, if you're a coach and you're trying to demo an exercise, it's one thing. But when you write out your thoughts, you really have to ask your. it's like getting a tattoo. Yeah. So you really have to ask, do you want this permanently online? Because your thoughts about things change all the time. For sure. You know? <laughs> and people take that, like if you wrote it on Twitter, that it's yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> so but- I'm like, mm, I don't know if I want to just a random passing idea I have just permanently placed. I obviously I can delete it, but yeah, like I can share, I can call my friend and tell her I don't need to put it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, and also like, do you, do you take remote clients? Are you still taking remote clients or? I'm pretty full. My schedule is full, yep. but I'm hoping to do some more group classes as long as, long as they have consistent childcare. Yeah. Um, so I will, will announce any of that on Instagram and, and maybe do a class here if I have consistent childcare yeah. and you guys would still like that. Yeah. We'd love some flexibility and some mobility. Yeah. Like we love all the, that stuff because like if you can't get into a position, you can't train in that position. Yeah. So if yeah. you can't touch your toes, deadlifting yeah. becomes very difficult. Yeah. And this style of flexibility training, it stems from rhythmic gymnastics. So it's all about motor control first and then flexibility next. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for cool. hanging out with thanks us for an so hour. Thanks so much for having and me. And she's going to go work out and yes. I'm going to go do something else. I don't know what. <laughs> but till next time, see you guys later. Thanks again for hanging out for another episode of the Prime Podcast. We had, we're very grateful to have our guests each and every week. And we would really appreciate if you can leave us some feedback, some star reviews, and different things if you'd like and enjoy the information and content that we're putting out. Whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening, there are options to leave us some love. So give it there. Even if you don't like it, we'd like to know so we can switch up and give you content that you like and that will continue to help you find your prime. Till next time. Whoa. Said I'm at my prime.